So I'm going to begin this morning to be a little vulnerable for you, all right? So uh, I'm going to let you in on a little ongoing tension that Noelle and I have had in our marriage over the past 20 years. So you ready for it? I tend to be a fixer, not a validator, all right? So what do I mean by that? Well, it, it has improved over the past 20 years, but it still exists there. And what I mean is that when Noelle might have a problem or a situation and she wants to come and talk to me about it, my first inclination has often been to stop her mid-sentence, say, I got, your pro- I, I got it fixed, lay out the three-step plan to remedy the situation, wrap it up, consider it done, and move on, right? So uh, this is where all, cue all husbands to hit their wives, if you're married, on the elbow and say, see, I'm not the only one, all right? Because uh, that's, that's a reality. But why, why does she care? Shouldn't she want my three-step plan to help fix her situation? And I've been thinking about this because it really relates to our passage today in Hebrews and Jesus as a priest. And, and of course, she wants resolution, but she doesn't want resolution without care. See, because the reality is, is that we can fix someone's problem and offer to fix some problem, and it has nothing to do with that person or our concern or understanding of that person. And everything to do with just the expediency of being done with the situation. And, uh, but if in that relationship I move towards her understanding, ask questions, seek to grasp what she's going through, validate it, then there's a whole different willingness to walk through uh, whatever wisdom I might have for the moment. And this really connects with our passage this morning and what we've been looking at over the past two weeks in, uh, in this Advent series. And so we spent two weeks, we finished Proverbs, spent two weeks uh, in Advent preparing for this morning, and uh, we've been working through Hebrews. And we talked about how Christmas is supposed to be this picture perfect, everything's great and beautiful, but often this season and this time of the year can be more of a stormy ocean for us. And what, what we meant by that is that there are lots of storms that come about at this time of the year. Maybe it's reminders of who's not with us. Maybe it's the reminders of the difficulties we do have in our relationships. Maybe we look at our bank account. Maybe we look uh, to the upcoming year and we're filled with anxiety about how we're going to meet certain demands coming our way. And as much as we want it to be picture perfect, it's often not. And then we turn to the book of Hebrews. Because in the book of Hebrews, God's people were at that time were dealing with, they had converted over from um, Judaism, and they were dealing with lots of storms and currents from the culture to pull them away from their hope in Jesus. And what did the author of Hebrews do? But by the guidance of the Spirit, he lifted up Christ and showed him why he's better. And so we looked at Jesus as a true anchor for us because he came as our priest to represent us before God and secured us access to the throne of grace for us. And this is great anchor for us in the storms of life. But where we sit today is that, uh, that we all share an ongoing struggle. And that's that we struggle to see God rightly. We often can create these caricatures in our head of what we think God is like and what he th- we think he thinks of us and feels towards us that often aren't true. Dane Ortland, and you'll see the quote on the screen here, uh, from his book, Gentle and Lowly, which many of you read as we went through it as a church a couple of semesters ago. But he says this, the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. And this is hard work. So I would say that in our tainted, twisted view of God, sometimes we can think that, yeah, he does secure access to God's thrones, but he really doesn't care about me. He doesn't understand. He doesn't care. He's distant. 
And we get this sense that God is like that. And so I think the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, what is Jesus our priest? What's his posture and heart towards us? He secured access for you to God's throne. He, in a sense, fixed the situation at hand. But what is his posture towards us this Christmas morning? How does he see us? Does he look down on us with a posture of impatience that, come on, get your act together, right? Haven't I done enough for you? Well, our secure access to the throne of God is a strong answer, but, but God wants to so convince us of his heart towards us that he insists on this passage and in this passage what he's truly like. And he insists that we see him as he is, and his birth into this world reveals his heart towards us. So our big picture summary, where we're going this morning, what I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to see this Christmas morning is that Jesus' understanding and sympathy, that his understanding and sympathy are an anchor for us in the fiercest storm and the strongest current. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for uh, a beautiful morning that we can gather together. And there are many gifts that we've received, just being with family, maybe food, maybe presents and those kinds of things. And it's a gift to come and sing and reflect on who you are and what you've done for us through Christ. But we also confess that we struggle to see you rightly, that we can mouth these words of these Christmas songs almost mindlessly because we've sung them over and over again all, year, all throughout the years. And deep down, we can struggle to see your heart towards us and what it's like. And so what I ask you to do this morning is that you would make your word come alive for us, that you would help us to see Jesus' understanding and sympathy in a new light, and it would draw us near to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at Jesus' heart towards us, and then we're going to turn and ask how do we respond in light of that? So we're going to re-look re at a couple of these passages for us, and they'll be up on the screen for you. We're going to look at Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. And what do we see there? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or sacrifice for the sins of the people. For because he himself, and this is referring to Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then we pick up in chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus is our high priest, who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And so what do we see here about Jesus' heart? That his heart bends with understanding not exasperation. Understanding, not exasperation. His heart moves with sympathy and not indifference. So when someone doesn't understand you, it, it's often hard to relate to them. Like if you're telling them something, they just don't get it. They don't understand in any way what you're saying. It can be often hard to relate to them. But then if they understand and they have no sense of care, concern for you in that moment, it can be, you can, it, it can be very isolating then so they understand you, but they don't care. And what we see here is that in both these passages that Jesus understands, he cares, and he's moved with action towards us. Hebrews 2.17 says that he's been made like us in every respect, and this places him in this position to be merciful towards us. And 4.15 adds that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and has been tempted in every way, yet without sinning. And so when it refers to weaknesses there, he's talking about lacking the strength and capacity to follow after God, to 
to, to lack the ability to restrain these urges of sin with inside us. And so what he's saying is that Jesus knows we're weak in that way, and it doesn't move him away from us, but towards us. And this idea of being sympathizing towards us, it says he can sympathize with us because he knows what it's like to live in this broken world and be tempted like we are. And I've often thought to myself, yeah, but Jesus didn't have a sinful nature, so the idea of him being tempted just doesn't make He doesn't understand what it's like to be tempted. Then I read this commentator that flipped that and said, no, Jesus knows what the full strength of temptation is because he never, resi- he, he, he never gave in. See, you and I, if we resist temptation and then give in it quickly, we have no idea what the full strength of that sin could be and the temptation of it. But Jesus resisted it to its fullest and understands in a more, more way than we could imagine how alluring sin is and its power and its might. But we give in and we have no idea what it's like. But it says Jesus here in that situation not just doesn't understand us, but sympathizes with us. He knows the full strength, and he's compassionate towards us. And so this sets him up, what this passage says, is to have a posture to be merciful, which says, I see you, I understand you, and I care for you. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say you, you come to me and you want to talk to me about a rare, extremely rare disease that you've been diagnosed with. And I, I, I sit there and seek to understand what it's like to be in your shoes. But the reality is, is I don't share the same diagnosis and so there's, if I'm able, I'm able to con- con- contribute just a sense of understanding, but there's still a way I won't understand. But if you were to come to me and share that with me, and I shared the same diagnosis, I've walked those same experiences you're walking now, I've understand the confusion and what it's like and not knowing where to turn and how to move forward, and my heart is moved towards you because I've been in a similar place than you. It's a radically different experience. And when we begin to think of it like that, that's what we're beginning to walk down towards to understand what it means that Jesus is our high priest, is that he entered this world to walk in our shoes, to understand what we do, to feel what we feel and experience what we experience. And the prophet Isaiah, he poetically describes this on what it's like to be made like us in every respect. And it says this in Isaiah 53, 2 through 4. It says, For he grew up before him like a tender young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So when Jesus walked into this earth, no one was just like, Oh, this guy's amazing. Let me go follow him. That's essentially what they're saying there. Instead, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. So this is a prophecy foretelling of what it would be like when Jesus entered this broken world. And, and what I want to communicate with us this morning is the reality that Jesus was born into this world and walked through the life that you and I live has profound implications for how we understand his heart towards us. That the fact that he was born into this world and he walked through our experiences profoundly impacts how we understand his heart towards us. So what I want to do is I want to walk through a few ways that Jesus can identify us. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask some questions. And I just want this to resonate with us this morning. So just let these, these thoughts, these insights about how Jesus identifies us affect us this morning. Have you ever felt like you've lacked 
or that you felt marginalized? Have you ever felt that in your life? Jesus was born into poverty amongst the people who were marginalized and oppressed by a larger government. That was his experience. Have you ever felt like you weren't part of the in crowd or not wanted by the people around you? Isaiah tells us that Jesus was born in this world and was rejected and despised by his very own people. Have you ever felt out of place or like you don't measure up to the culture's expectations of what you should look like or act like? Well, Jesus was born in this world, and Isaiah tells us that there was no majesty or beauty that people were attracted to him. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Well, Jesus knows what this is like. He was misunderstood by the masses, and even those closest to him didn't understand who he was or what he came to do. Have you ever felt a sense of sorrow or grief? Well, Isaiah tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. He dealt with it. He felt the sorrow. He felt the grief far more than we can feel it. He saw loss all around him, and he understood clearly that that was not the way it was meant to be. Have you ever felt weary or exhausted? How, how does this happen? But Jesus walked this earth and he was hungry. There were many times he was weary and exhausted. Have you ever felt, have you ever been tempted to seek out the approval and acclaim of those around you? Well, Jesus, in a season of weariness at the beginning of his ministry, was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan to receive the full praise of the world. He knows what that temptation's like. Have you ever been tempted to take control of your life and not trust the Father's plans? In that same season of fasting in the wilderness, without food, tired, exhausted, Jesus was tempted to take things in his own hands. Have you ever felt betrayed? I know many of your stories in this room, and I know betrayal is all throughout this church. You've felt it in many different ways. Jesus knows what that betrayal is like. He's felt the sting of it from the people he invested in. Have you ever been tempted to despair in your life? Jesus, before his crucifixion, knowing what was coming, was pushed to the brink of despair, so much so that he swept blood at the thought of what was coming ahead of him. Have you ever been a victim of injustice? Jesus was gossiped about, slandered, falsely accused, unjustly charged, and executed as an innocent man by an unjust regime. This is his experience. And so what does this mean for us? That Jesus was born into this broken world and has felt or experienced all of those things. Well, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that he sits on the other side of us and he says, come on, get your act together. He's not like a football coach that's been through boot camp before or two-a-days and he looks at you and says, tough it out. You can do this. I did it, just like I'm asking you to do. That's not his posture at all. What this means that he entered this world as our priest and walked through all the experiences and temptations that we would feel, what it means is his heart for you bends with understanding not with exasperation. At his heart this morning, and the reason why we sing these songs is that he moves with sympathy towards you and not indifference. And so Jesus' birth and life into this broken world would be one of the biggest ways 
that he would insist that you understand his heart towards you by understanding what he experienced on your behalf as your priest. And so where do we go from here with this? I want to give you two applications to consider as we wrestle with God's heart towards us and what Jesus has done for us. And the first one is this, is that you would rejoice at what he has secured for you and what he feels towards you. That this morning, as we gather, that we would rejoice, not just at what he secured on our behalf, that 2,000 years ago when he entered this world as our priest to represent us before the throne of God, he secured that throne would be a throne of grace for us, not a throne of judgment. And we would rejoice at that. But we'd also rejoice that he doesn't do that in some frustrated way, that he had to do that because we're a bunch of broken people. That we would rejoice that his posture as our priest is one of sympathy and understanding towards us in our time of need. That he knows what it's like to walk this earth. And he knows what it's like to be weary, to be exhausted, to be struggle, to tempt, to be tempted. And we would rejoice at that. And that would be profound that he did this for his enemies, not his friends. That's who we were at that time. And so we would rejoice this Christmas. And then secondly, that we would draw near to him in this season. God wants you and I to know with certainty what he feels towards us, what his heart towards us is. And he wants you to know it so that you would draw near to him. Look at our passage here again in Hebrews 4, 14, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And first, verse 16 tells us why. Why is he communicating to us? Why does he want us with certainty to know that? So that we would then, with confidence, not wishy-washy, will God, can God handle what I want to tell him? Can he, will he be near to me in this moment? But that we with confidence would draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so would you let his heart towards you give you confidence that his throne is the place that where you are fully known and fully loved? Would you let it be a strong anchor that would pull you back to him in these storms and these currents of life? And if you're here this morning and you've always thought of Jesus as this distant guy and you don't really know why we sing these songs about him, but I guess it's because of something he did for us, would you be convinced this morning that he was born into this world for you, to make a way back for you. It doesn't involve you being good and attending Christmas Eve services once a year. It will be about his heart for you to pay the penalty of your sin as your priest and to convince you of his heart for you so that you would draw near to him this morning. And so Grace Church, would you marvel at Jesus this Christmas, that he is the ruler of all things, Despite that high and exalted place at the right hand of the Father, He looks upon you with understanding and sympathy, knowing that He's walked what you've experienced, and He's inviting you to draw near to Him this morning. Let's pray. Father, I remember growing up and opening presents and singing Christmas songs and having no idea who Jesus was or what he came to do in this world. And when I began to follow you for the first time, I was struck by the truth of the Christmas music I'd sung all my life and had no idea what it meant. And these songs that we sing 
communicate to us your heart and what you came to do. And so would you let us be amazed at who you are, get a little better taste in our, in our hearts what it means that you understand and sympathize with us as our priest. And would it draw us near? And would it make, it, make, it, make us long to go tell it on the mountain? It's in your name we pray. Amen.